Now the objectors come to pass. And now Paul has to answer these objections. There always are going to be people that want to challenge God's righteousness. It doesn't matter if it's Old Testament or New Testament. Those people are always going to be there. And so Paul, he is going to dial up a Holy Spirit planned argument to answer those that would object to God and question whether or not God is righteous. Now we have to understand the Jewish people were always missing the point. Whatever God was trying to show them or whatever God was trying to teach them, they always missed the point. His first coming, they wanted him to set up a kingdom. He said, no, I'm going to the cross. We don't believe you. They always missed it. So Paul finds himself now with a Jewish audience. People are being saved. A church is formed. And they have some questions. He's going to try to answer them. But remember, we just came off of verse number 13 last week. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. We preached on that. We're not going to review that material. But then it comes in with the question, what shall we say then? Is there any, is there unrighteousness with God? Well, how could God hate Esau? I mean, isn't that unrighteous of God? That's where that question is coming from. Why would God hate Esau? You know, God gave Esau opportunities. He was the firstborn. He had the birthright. God gave him an opportunity. He originated with that. But Esau said, nah, I'll sell it for some food. My belly's hungry. It wasn't valuable to him. God gave him an opportunity that was valuable. Esau said, hey, I, I don't care. It's not of great value to me. He made a decision. God hates when we make poor decisions. And the problem with the heart of man is when we see from our human perception, when we perceive something that may be unfair, we think that we have a right to question God. And it happens all the time. It's as if we think that we have complete understanding. It's as if we think that our conclusion is somehow right because after all, we arrived at that, at that spot in our thinking. And mankind is constantly doing this, saved or unsaved. Just when we're saved, we think, well, the Holy Spirit led us. It's easier to blame the Holy Spirit when we do something that we ought not than to blame ourselves. A lot of people say the Holy Spirit led me when the Holy Spirit didn't lead them. They thought something through. They concluded it with their own knowledge without consulting God. And if God doesn't give them what they want, well, then God's unrighteous. That's not the way it works. And so God's not unrighteous in hating Esau. So anyway, that's where that question comes in. But it would be unrighteous if God hated without a cause. He didn't just create Esau just to hate him. He created Esau with an opportunity. He forsook that opportunity. He lived in rebellion. He was a wild man. He did what he wanted to do. It was immediate gratification. He lived after the flesh. God hates all that. He hates when you make bad choices. Go to Exodus chapter number 20, if you would. Exodus chapter number 20. 
Exodus 20. Exodus 20, the Bible says in verse number 5, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. That would be graven images. That would be idols. And in, in, in we know this, the, the commandments of God, Ten Commandments, at least here in chapter 20. And then it says in that verse, For I am the Lord thy God, and I am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. God gave that nation some commands and some ways to live. He gave them an opportunity to obey. When that nation gets involved in idolatry or you and I would get involved in idolatry. Do you think God loves that or hates that? He hates that. And when, when the nation, when that Israel nation got involved in idolatry, God says, God says, look, I loved you. I called you out. I made you a special people. I gave you these commands. Do this. Don't do that. And you're not obeying. You know why you're not obeying? Because you all don't love me. You hate me. Some of you have been parents long enough. Some of you are new parenting, and you'll find this out soon enough. Some of you have been grandparents, so you've been down the road so long that this is not new news to you. There's going to come a point when one of your sons or daughters or one of your grandkids or somebody is going to rise up and say, I hate you, Dad. I hate you, Mom. And all you did was ask them to, can you go mow the grass? And you have given them every opportunity in life. You've provided food for them. You've provided housing for them. You've put up with a lot of stuff. Because you love them. Not because you hate them. What do you think? God expects you to love that type of disobedience? No, God expects you to hate when your children disobey you. And if you really did love them, you would hate the disobedience. And if you really did love them, you would chasten them because God, because he loves us. You know what he does? He chastens us as his children. But he hates iniquity. He hates when people make bad decisions. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter number 7. And we'll look at verse number nine. In Deuteronomy 7, look at verse number nine. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments. And when that nation obeyed them, they were blessed with a good crop from the land, and they were blessed with livestock and they were blessed with children and they were blessed with winning battles against the enemy and god says look i'm gonna take care of you guys if you obey me i'm gonna take care of you physically if you obey me had nothing to do with their soul going to heaven or their soul going to hell 
It had everything to do with, look, this nation, I called you out. If you obey me, I'm going to bless you physically. They're a physical people called out. They're promised a physical land. God's going to keep all that, all those promises. But there were some conditional things on earth where he said, look, if you keep, if you, if you do what I tell you to do, you're going to win. You do what I tell you to do, you're not going to get sick. You know, you can spot a lot of false teachers by listening to them on the radio or the, or the uh, TV. If they take the promises God gave Israel and try to transfer them to a New Testament Christian. That's how you spot a false teacher. You ask this question, is that for Israel or is that for me? Now you can get some principle and some application from it, but you can't just act like you're Israel when you're not. You're not a nation. You're an individual. Uh, so anyway, that's that's that. Now watch what he says, verse 10, repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him and he will repay him to his face. Man must. God's character is righteous. Man must hate God first before God repays with hate. Man must oppose God. And then God will oppose that man. He is not going to let opposition to who he is Go unchecked. Does that make sense? This is why we preach the gospel. Because everybody is now under God's condemnation. Because they've not believed on the son. If you think God's going to just let that go. And he's going to just let it go unchecked. We don't need to go witness to them. But because God's not going to let that go. And because he is going to punish them. In an eternal lake of fire. We want to rescue them that are perishing so that they can experience and understand what the true love of God is. And then they won't be God's enemy anymore. They'll pass from death to life and they will not be under condemnation. They'll have received the imputed righteousness of God. Amen. Book of Nahum uh, says that he reserved wrath for his enemy. You and I were enemies. If you're saved this morning, you were God's enemy. If you're saved this morning, you are not God's enemy. You are not on the receiving end of any wrath at all. Now, therefore, there's, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I can't get wrath. You can't get wrath if you're saved. No matter how convincing of an argument some other false preacher might try to tell you. You are not appointed to wrath. Not going to happen. When you go to the book of Romans, and we looked at, already preached through this, Romans 1, we see that there are haters of God. We see in Romans 12, he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. But we also see in 1 John 4, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. God always starts the love. He is love. But you start opposing him, you start hating him, he's going to repay. He is not going to let sin go unchecked for a nation or for an individual. 
You don't have to turn there, but Daniel 9 says, God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth. You can't say the same for man. So when someone questions in Romans 9, we're looking, well, is there any unrighteousness in God? No, he's righteous in all his works. Daniel 9 prophesies, says, for we obeyed not his voice. The problem is with people. The problem is with ungodly nations. The problem is with individuals. We obeyed not his voice. God just proclaims who he is and his righteousness in all his ways. Let's go back to Romans 9, but also get Exodus 32. Romans 9, but also get Exodus 32. Hold your finger in Exodus 32, but let's read verse 15 in Romans 9. Romans 9, verse 15. Paul starts to give the answer to, is there unrighteousness with God? He says, God forbid. And then he says, he's using Moses as an example. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion. On whom I will have compassion. Did God tell the nation how they were to worship. And who they were to worship. He did. He couldn't have made it any clearer. So we need to get the context now. Because this is a cross reference quote. From the Old Testament. Romans 9.15 is a quote from Exodus. But to understand this cross-reference, we can't just cherry-pick stuff and then come up with some type of theology. We have to get an understanding of what is occurring. So I'd like to do that this morning, and we'll do that in Exodus 32. And we find ourselves in verse number 1 through 6. God is, he's, he is waxing hot. The people are making a golden calf. They change their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. That's what Psalm says about it. And look at verse number 10 in Exodus 32, or verse number 7, rather. The Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, they're already out, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have, and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone. My wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Can you imagine being brought out. Of the land of Egypt. The blessing and the opportunity that God provides. You just think about it as a Christian parent or a Christian bank grandparent. You raise your kids in a Christian home. You have them in church. You give them every opportunity in Sunday school to hear the gospel. You have activities to give them every opportunity to get involved and learn how to live the Christian life and live for Jesus. 
And then they're 18 years old. They move out. And the first thing you see when you go over their house is a statue of a Buddha in the backyard. Now, would you wax hot? You have given them all of these opportunities. And the minute y'all left on your own, that's what we get. Moses led those people out of Egypt. God did that for them. And they're making an idol. You think God's just going to sit back? Oh, isn't that cute? No, he's waxing hot. He's furious. All the opportunities I gave. By the time we get to verses 11 through 14, Moses is interceding for them. And the Lord promises to spare them. Verse number 15, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. Joshua tells him he hears a noise of war in the camp. Moses sees the calf. He sees the dancing. He waxes hot. He breaks the tables of stone. Let's read verse number 20 in Exodus 33. And he said, uh, Thou canst not see my face, and there shall no man see me. Oh, I'm in the wrong chapter, I think. I'm sorry. Uh, verse number 20 in Exodus 32. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Some of you youngins think your parents are mean because you got to eat your spinach or you got to eat your carrots or you got to eat your corn. Or whatever vegetable it is that you don't like. Every kid has one. Imagine being these people. Emotions are flared. Moses is hot. The next few verses, Aaron lies. Oh yeah, we just threw up the fire and all of a sudden this calf came out. Come on, Aaron. They wanted gods to go before them. You know why? They didn't trust God. They didn't trust Moses to lead them through God. They didn't trust him. That's what it comes down to. They didn't trust God. Moses goes back up to Mount Sinai. I will go up unto the Lord. I will make an atonement for your sin. Now that's somebody that loves his people. How many of y'all have been like, let's go, we're out. I'm not making atonement for you. I'm gone. Moses loves his people. But would you have blamed him if he says, now I'm pitching my tent and moving on? You fellows are on your own. <laughs> but he loves people. Moses loves people. It's easy to just quit. It's easy to just walk away. It's easy to just get offended because people did this or said this or acted this way. You can get offended every day, every week, every month, if you want to. If you want to focus on those offenses, believe me, they'll be there. That's not what Moses did. Verses 26 through 28, he asked the question, who's on the Lord's side? Because God told him, you're going to slay your friends, you're going to slay your neighbors, you're going to slay everyone but worship that golden calf.
You think God let sin go unchecked? He didn't. They were involved in idolatry. You know who God spared? The nation was spared. When you draw the lens back and you look at it nationally, that nation was spared. But there were individuals within that camp, verse 22, those specifically who were set on mischief, they were put to death. And then Moses goes back up to Mount Sinai. And then he says, I'll make an atonement for your sin. A little out of order how I put it. He goes up, makes atonement. You imagine being part of that camp and someone that you love, someone who was your friend, led the charge in making the idol. And now they're going to have to kill that person, as God told them. We're talking about a bloodbath. We're talking about something that you don't want to see on them. So Moses goes up. I'll make an atonement for your sin. God tells him in verse 33. I'm going to blot everybody out that sins. God's anger is hot. Everybody. I'm blotting them all out. Moses says, no, Lord, no, no, please don't. Don't blot them out. Just get rid of me. Would you have said that? Or would you have said, oh, that's what they deserve. Give it to them. Moses loved those people. He says, blot me out. Verse number 34, we know God threatens, but he spares. And verse 34, we see the mercy of God. Did God have a right to wipe them all out because of their idolatry? He did. Moses intercedes. And he says, look, okay, I'll spare. And then he tells Moses, you lead those people, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to give you an angel and that angel will lead you because if I go, because if I go down there, I'm going to wipe them all out because I'm just done of all their iniquity and all their idolatry. So I'll just give you all an angel. The chapter ends with the people being plagued all because they made an idol. Did those people, did God clearly tell them who to obey, who to worship, and how to worship? He did. Did they make a choice to disobey God? They did. Folks, Romans 9 is not teaching predeterminism. It is not teaching a sick Calvinistic theology that says, well, God just does what he does because he's God and he can. God gave them opportunity those people decided to make an idol and disobey God. They made a choice. They made a choice and they made an idol. And God hates that. God hates it. Now, go to Exodus 33. Verse 1, they're heading to the promised land. Verse 2, they got an angel as their guide. Verse number 3, God says, look, I'm not going with you because y'all are stiff-necked. 
I come down, I'm going to destroy everybody. So verses 4 through 6 in Exodus 33, all these people are mourning over this. Verse number 7, they put the tabernacle up and they put it way outside the camp. Moses goes to that tabernacle, verses 8 and 9. He goes to the tabernacle and a cloudy pillar descends over that tabernacle and the Lord talks with Moses. Verse 11, Moses returns back to the camp. Verses 12 through 13, Moses is pleading with God. God, will you guide us? And the Lord says, my presence will. You have got Moses pleading for his people, although his people, they didn't deserve anything but God's wrath. They didn't even deserve an angel, but God gave it to them. And Moses still pleads. Would you protect my people? And in verse 17, the Lord makes a promise. Yes, I will protect you. And in verse number 19, in Exodus chapter 33, I said all of that to look at this cross reference. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. Here is the cross reference. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. You understand the basis for God's mercy and compassion? You understand the basis for God not showing mercy and compassion? It wasn't Romans 9 is not preaching predeterminism. It's not teaching fatalism. That quote, you've got to understand everything leading up to that. Those people had a choice. They made a bad choice. They deserved all of them to die. But God, Moses, because he believed God, Moses, because he trusted God. Now there's a basis where he can plead to God. And now God, even though they all deserve wrath, God gives them mercy. And he says, okay. Moses, I'll go. I will go. Some of us need just to go before God and just plead for God. Show mercy. If you've not trusted Christ, that'd be a good place to start. Go to Romans 9. Let's look at verse number 16. So, uh, so 14, we see the objection. Is there any unrighteousness with God? 15, we see the example of Moses. And it's not God predetermining Moses to go to heaven and now Pharaoh to hell, which we'll see in a minute. It is understanding that this quote from Romans 9, 15. Yeah, it's from Exodus. We went through all that to understand the choices that those people made. Verse 16. So then. It is not of him that willeth or of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. God makes the rules, God sets the terms, and he shows mercy based on those terms. And we must properly respond to God, not on his terms, not on our terms. If somebody says to you, well, God is just a forgiving God, God is just a merciful God, God is just a gracious God, he's just going to forgive everybody. Is that true or false? 
the whole totality of that statement is false. But the first half of that statement is true. Is God gracious? Yes. Is God merciful? Yes. Is God forgiving? Yes. But you can't conclude that because of that, he is just going to forgive everybody. Because that is not the makeup or character of his gracious, merciful forgiveness. God set the terms. You must come to me in repentance. And you must have a trusting faith in who I am. And I will save you. And if you don't want to repent from what you've been trusting in and put your full faith and trust in Christ, then I'm not going to forgive you. Because God's character says the transaction of forgiveness cannot occur until there is repentance. It's like a bank transaction. It won't occur. It can't, it's impossible for it to occur until you turn from and turn toward and put all your faith and trust in Christ. Now, legally, that transaction of forgiveness can occur because you've repented and put your faith and trust in Christ. Mercy is I'm not receiving what I do deserve. We saw that from the people, uh, people of Israel, children of Israel. How about you? Before you got saved, what did you deserve? Hell, condemnation, wrath. When you got saved, guess what you get, didn't get? Hell, condemnation, wrath. You didn't get what you did deserve. Okay, that's God's mercy. And when it says of him that willeth or of him that runneth, any race I run, I'm going to mess up. Any race you run in your life, you're going to mess up. Your, my will is always going to be a mess. So is yours. It's not my will. It's not my race. I deserve wrath for that. Verse number 17, Romans 9, watch what it says. For the scripture say on the Pharaoh. And you know why that is interesting? Because Pharaoh didn't have a copy of scripture. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh. You know why I believe every word of, uh, uh, in this book? Because what we're getting in Romans 9 is exactly what God said for Moses to tell Pharaoh. Yet Moses or Pharaoh didn't have any scripture for it to be said to him. You know what you get in Romans 9? Exactly what was said. And they didn't have any scripture. But it was scripture. Except it wasn't scripted yet. But it was God's word. People want to correct this book. Don't understand how powerfully spiritual it is. We are not dealing with a science textbook. We are not dealing with a math textbook. We are dealing with a book that has spiritual power. It's God's word. It doesn't change. But it says... In verse number 17, even for this same purpose, have I given you up and predestinated you to hell? <laughs> it doesn't say that. It says, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might send you to hell? No, this isn't fatalistic Calvinism. It says that I might show my power. 
in thee. And that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. It's odd that Calvinists try to use Pharaoh to teach predeterminism. And they use Moses to try to teach predeterminism to heaven. It's odd that they use this these verses. Because to me it's so clear. God raised up Pharaoh so that he could have mercy on Pharaoh. Verse number 15. I will have mercy. I will have compassion. The outward performance of Pharaoh couldn't save Pharaoh. God will show mercy upon those who call upon him. And God is not irresponsible in just throwing out mercy. People are not puppets. They must repent and trust Christ and the makeup and character of God and how he made us and created us is with an ability to receive light. God is the originator of that light and for us to turn and repent. It's not taking away any glory from God. It's recognizing the character and makeup of God. And until people start believing the book and believe in the Bible, As their authority, all they're going to do is take a system of theology, an encyclopedia of religious institutes, and they're going to have to make the Bible fit into that theology. That's bad Bible. Pharaoh is a selfish, stubborn, prideful, carnival man. And God made an example out of him for everybody's benefit. Including Pharaoh. Look, I just don't think God is so insecure that he just needs to predestinate some to hell just so he can show how powerfully glorious he is. I just don't see God as that insecure. He could do that if he wanted to and if that was his makeup, but that's not his character. That's not his makeup. His makeup is love. If you choose to oppose him, you choose to defy him, you choose to hate him, he will repent. He will repent. But he always makes a way for escape. And it says in verse number 17, he raised thee up. It doesn't say send to hell. He raised thee up. And Pharaoh became a very, very powerful leader. And so he's using Pharaoh. He didn't just pick some weak leader that's just going to crumble at one little plague or one little threat. He didn't just give him up. He raised him up. And if he didn't raise him up to be a powerful leader, the children of Israel would have never seen all of these plagues. They would have never seen all of these miracles. They would have never learned to fear God. And they would have never learned to see the foolishness of idols and false religion. Stay with me. Do you see why God waxed so hot in Exodus 32 and 33? He just, they, they just saw everything that God did with Pharaoh. They went through ten plagues. And they're making an idol when God leads them out from under Pharaoh. You understand the context of this? Blood, then frogs, then lice, then flies, then the cattle. And the first five plagues, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 
you are in your heart against God, he's going to give you what you want. He's not going to give you what he wants and what his will is. He's going to give you what you want. You know why? Because God's not going to force you to love him and trust him and obey him. He makes salvation so simple. Just stop trusting that and trust me. But I don't want to. Okay. He's not going to put you in an arm bar or knock you out and drag you into heaven. He could if he wanted to. But he said, it's real simple. Stop trusting that. Start trusting me. And look, I'll save you. I believe that. You want to harden your heart against God? He'll give you what you want. You want to soften your heart against God? Okay. Law to the proud. Grace to the humble. You're out witnessing and you see somebody starting to humble their heart, start giving them grace, grace, grace. They start being stiff-necked, give them law, 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 wrath, 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 sin, sin, sin. They start humbling themselves. Okay, enough of the sin. Show them some grace. Piece that together for them so that they can see the true character, the full character of God. It says Pharaoh hardened. He did not let the people go. He hearkened not. Pharaoh wasn't predetermined to go to hell. Pharaoh made a choice to not let the people go. Pharaoh hearkened not. Boils come, hail comes, locusts come, darkness comes, death of the firstborn comes. You know what it says in Exodus 12 when they came out of Egypt? There was a mixed multitude. If it was predeterminism, you would not have had a mixed multitude. What is a mixed multitude? That means you had some Egyptians who put some blood on some doorposts. What else are you going to make out of that verse? When you got Exodus 12, 8, and you got a mixed multitude coming out. You have non-Israelites that mixed with the Israelites. Folks, this thing is predeterminism. God made a promise to a nation regarding protection from their enemies, and he's using Pharaoh as an example. God gets them out of Egypt, and Pharaoh is a leader. Not only is he making decisions nationally for his nation, for the people that he's responsible for, but individually he's making a choice for himself. And I know we're not Israel. But look, we are all part of the human race. We are all sinners because we are in Adam. All have died. And God's going to judge sin. But individually, you can make a choice to trust Christ. And when you do that, you're not part of the wrath that's going to come down on the human race that have rejected God's offer of grace and mercy. Does that make sense? Pharaoh made not only an individual choice, but his choice reflected him as a leader of his nation. Look at Romans 9, verse 18. We'll finish here. The Bible says, therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardened. God is showing what he's going to do 
with the kind of person that Pharaoh is. And Esau and Pharaoh are likened to unbelieving Israel. Esau had a privilege, he had a birthright, he sold it. He wasn't locked in. Pharaoh had a throne. He raised him up, he made him a leader. That's a privilege. Moses didn't have that. You know what Moses had, folks? The start of his life was in a river, in a basket. And you know what he became? Because he trusted God. God raised him up and made him a great leader. But he started in a river, and God made him a great leader because he trusted him. Pharaoh, you know what he had? The privilege and an opportunity to be a great leader. He's Pharaoh. What an opportunity that God gave him. But he hated God. He despised God. And you know what? He ended up at the end of his life exactly where Moses started at the beginning of his life. Except Pharaoh ended up dead in a river. Moses started alive in a river and became a great leader because he trusted God. And the contrast between Moses, how he started, and Pharaoh, how he started, and how they ended it's a beautiful truth. God gives opportunities because he loves. But you've got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision. And he gives you an opportunity to trust him. You haven't this morning. You're not locked into heaven. And you're not locked into hell. But you're here. And God says, I love you. I'll offer you an opportunity to repent. Or you're going to die and end up in a river. Actually a lake of fire. If you haven't trusted Christ, you don't want to end up like Pharaoh, dead in the sea. Dead in the lake of fire for eternity. God says you've got an opportunity. He'll send it through a gospel witness. He'll send it through preaching on the radio. He'll send it through coming to a church service. He'll send it through a gospel track. He'll send it through all different types of ways. But all you have to do is turn, trust Christ. He will rescue you from the burning lake if you would only trust.